Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. talk to you for a little while about guardrails, safety, boundaries in your life, careful places that you are intentional about not going. You may be seated. I'll just read the word of the Lord to you. Galatians 5 verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a big one. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That's not good. Amen. And then here we go. This is the word for today. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Everyone say, walk in the spirit. In the scriptures, when it says walk, it means live. Live in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's certain fleshly lusts that the scripture tells us to be careful of. And it says that whenever you have freedom in God, there are still guardrails needed in life. Because you live in this body, amen, we are being sanctified. We are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Salvation, and they say, is the most elastic word in the Bible. You were saved, you are being saved, and we will be saved when we go home to heaven. Amen? So it's the most elastic word in the Bible, but we have to understand that while we're being sanctified, while we're being brought to perfection, there are some things we can do to guard our lives. Amen? So let's talk for a few minutes about guardrails. Jesus, thank you for the word. Thank you for everything we've seen so far in this service and the blessing that you've put on people's lives. I thank you for every prayer answered in this room already. And I ask you to use your word to confirm it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, somebody. You like what you feel here today? Amen. Guardrails are first a safety mechanism. Do you notice guardrails? You don't really notice them, do you? They're everywhere. They're all over the place. But we don't notice them because we don't typically need them. Does anybody here drive up against the guardrail on the way to church? Just all the way to church? Anybody here? No? Nobody's using the guardrails? They're there for you. Why aren't you using them? I mean, just, you could bounce off them a few times on the way to church. You'd pull up one bumper hanging off, you know, just like ricochet, ricochet, ricochet. And we'd all look at your vehicle and go, what happened to you? And you'd be like, I just used the guardrails, man. It's like bowling. You put those lanes up, you just bump into them, get a better score. I'm getting a better score in life, man. I'm getting through this. I got guardrails. They may be there, but they're not meant to be used unless you need them. They're designed to be everywhere. They're all around you. They get no attention, but they are there to save your life. But they are only designed to deflect you They're not designed for you to run straight into them. If you drive 60, 70 miles an hour straight into a guardrail, 
what happens is it uses the guardrail to launch your vehicle. They're not made to stop you from running headlong into a guardrail. They are made to redirect and protect you. And that's what guardrails are in the scripture. The scripture doesn't have the word guardrails because they weren't invented yet. In fact, a lot of places where I've had guardrails, I didn't really like when I was a kid. We had this road that ran. It was called US-1, and it ran out of Alaska. You could only get out of Alaska on one road. And so you drive seven miles down Fishhook Road. That's what it was called, where we lived. You make a left on US-1 at the top of the hill, and you drive out to Toke, Alaska, and then down through Canada towards Seattle. But when you make a left at the top of the hill at Fishhook and US-1, you go one mile down, and there's a place on the right side of the road where all of the, all of the, the cliff has eroded. And it's eroded all the way up to the edge of the road. And so there's this spot about as wide as this church where there's a guardrail that's just right on the edge of a huge cliff that goes down to the Matanuska River. And for me now, it's beautiful. If I was to stand there and look at it, I'd be like, man, that's gorgeous. But when we were driving the vehicle, I had this little seven-year-old fear that we were going to fall off that cliff. And I told my mom, I don't like going that way. I don't like driving that way. We wouldn't, if we were going to drive that way, I didn't want to go in the vehicle because I was afraid the car would go off the cliff. And my mom, so wise, told me, we can't go off the cliff. There's a guardrail there. It's protecting you from going off. It didn't matter. I still had a healthy fear of the cliff. And so I was growing up with these guardrails. And we, in Alaska, you need guardrails. I mean, there's times where you slide all over the road, but this particular one, I remember from my childhood was the one place I didn't like going. And as humans are, as our nature seems to be, we always seem to ride right up against the dangerous places. Amen. We always seem to go right to the edges of things. And so scripture tells us that we are to walk in the spirit, not after the flesh. And even so much so that Paul says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You'll create a margin, a guardrail for yourself in your life by walking by the spirit. Well, what does walking by the spirit mean? It means a life that's led by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. That's very important. Because if you look where we see guardrails in our life, it's usually keeping you from a very dangerous place. On the other side of the guardrail is something that can either take life or destroy the, the, the quality of your life if you were to go through the guardrail. And so what you have to understand is don't hate the guardrails. Don't hate the places where there are barriers. Don't call it restrictive and, and, and confining, but understand that the word of God, when it says don't do this, or do that. Those are guardrails in the word of God to handle the fleshly things of life that you need to handle. There's less of the flesh. There's pride of life. There's, there's all kinds of things that we can get involved in and maybe even drift into. And if we're not careful and if we don't have some guardrails, we will not stay safe in our life. Whether metaphorically I'm speaking or whether literally the guardrail is there to say it's better to damage your vehicle on this side of the railing than to die on that side of the railing. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. We have things in our life and things in the word of God 
that we will blow right by them because they're King James or they're words we don't understand. And I don't have to do that because I don't understand that. But we're responsible. The spirit of God that is in us is a spirit of truth, as I've always said. And there are medians, there are curves, dangerous places, intersections, and unexpected changes in the road of life that you will not navigate if you're not listening to the guardrails that God puts in your life of the word of God and his spirit. You need the spirit of God talking to you. You need to be in the word of God every day because it defines the ways of the Lord it sets the boundaries of God's pathways. And whenever you stay in the ways of the Lord, the Bible says you are blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And, the, and I, I don't know if, if, I can really, if I can really handle this the way I want to today because I'm having to edit so much in my brain. <laughs> my brain's on overload trying to shrink this sermon. But Philippians 2 and 12 says that we are to work out our salvation. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is Paul saying? He said, whenever I'm there, you're obedient because I'm the pastor or I'm the authority in the spirit. But when I'm away, be even more obedient to the spirit of God. Be even more obedient to the work of God and show in my absence the work of God in your life. Life. Be a testimony even more that God is at work, not less. We can see that there are guardrails in our culture. People can consense, have a consensus of this is bad or this is not good. And whether the world tries to ignore it or not, or whether they say it's, it's restrictive and you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't tell your children right and wrong, you should let them decide what's right and wrong, you shouldn't define for them the way that is a good life because what's good for you may not be good for them. All of those things, that's just a bunch of garbage, okay? That's a bunch of cultural guidelines that are not even strong enough to keep you from dangerous places. Cultural guidelines like things that you see on television or when you're watching the Super Bowl, drink responsibly. What does that even mean? Drink responsibly. Have you ever had somebody that was standing next to you that was drinking too much and they go, well, it looks like we're drinking irresponsibly, but I really care right about now. They don't care anymore. They're, they're to the point where they're so drunk that they don't even care. There's no, there, it's, just a, it's just a yellow painted line on the edge of a cliff is what it is. It's not a guardrail. You might not like some of these topics I hit here, but that's okay. For the teens, they say, don't have sex until you're ready. Now, some of you don't want to hear that word over the pulpit. I realize that, but hold on just a minute. How do you know when you're ready? Is it like, are you ready? Well, not really. I'll be ready in three weeks. <laughs> and every guy in the room's like, I was born ready. <laughs> How do you know if you're ready? I mean, when did you schedule that? Like a month out and we'll be ready then? That's just, a, that, that's, that's not even a line on the edge of a cliff. And we know that on the other side of that cliff, there's danger and there's, there's sexually transmitted diseases and there's all kinds of things and there's the inability to stick to a partner in the future because you have to understand that you are a posty note. All the teenagers listen to me. I don't want to call you young people because that sounds like an old preacher. All you young people. You're a posty note. And when you have an intimate relationship with somebody, you're sticking yourself to them. 
And then when you peel yourself away, you do that enough times and you won't stick anywhere. And that's why relationships fall apart in our culture because they have stuck themselves together to so many people that they can't stay in a long-term relationship. You're a post-it note. (laughs) I hope that doesn't offend you. So we have to have guardrails. We have to know that you don't have sex when you're ready for it. You have sex when God says it's right. And he knows what's best in a relationship. He knows how to give you a lifelong relationship that doesn't have scars and doesn't have comparison between other partners. You don't have to say, well, I wish they did this because that person was good at that. I'm not going to go any deeper because the scripture says for me not to say some things over the pulpit that we shouldn't speak of some things. But I want you to know that you can get to a place where your, flesh, your lust of your flesh is so strong that you can destroy good things in your future. You can literally run off the cliff and destroy life down the road to where you can't hold on to anything that gets into your hand that's a blessing. And you might even manipulate and use it the wrong way. When you stay in the ways of the Lord, you're blessed. There's another one that the world does. Talk to your teenager about drugs. Have you heard this one? I've heard, excuse me, sorry. I apologize for the, the massive amount of uh, coughing and stuff that I was doing earlier. They say, talk to your kids about drugs. I have talked to a lot of parents that have heavy hearts and said, but I did talk to my kids about drugs. And they're all on drugs. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. But there are guardrails that we can put up. Some people call them legalistic or religious guardrails. They're like, well, you don't need those. That's really a cramp in your style. That's just not any fun. Don't you have any fun? Do Christians have any fun? I want you to know that these are not just to take away your fun. This is to give you a fulfilling life. And you can't have a fulfilling life chasing after things that are empty or driving carelessly. You may not be a new driver, but any new driver doesn't even think of the fact that there's already guardrails on the roads that they're going to drive. They're celebrating their freedom. I got my license. Woohoo! Or if it's your, my son, who I'm always traveling, I can never get him in the car to train him. So he, it's not his fault. It's my fault because I'm never here. But when he does get his license, he'll be like, "Woo! I finally got my license at 45. <laughs> That's basically the track we're on right now. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't get that boy a license. That poor boy. We're just moving and doing stuff. But he doesn't think of the guardrails. You look out here and there's cars whizzing by. At the top of that hill, there's a guardrail. So people don't plow into the church. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Bad memory. So what already plowed into the church? (laughs) Uh, Sorry. That's rough. We're going to put up guardrails at the end of the parking stalls. Say, this is a work of the Lord. Nobody's coming in this building again. The funny thing is, what I want to define guardrails as, is I want to define them as something that you do that's a standard. I want to define them as this. Listen carefully. Personal, established personal standard that informs your conscience so that you have crashes in your conscience and not crashes in your life. In other words, the word of God, while you 
read it. You may not think much of it or even feel like you understand much of it. But as you're reading the word of God, the word of God because it is active and living, it begins to set into your mind guardrails in your conscious mind. And your consciousness will speak to you when something's off. Whenever there's something that's just not right, it may not bother anybody else at your workplace, but it bothers you that people are taking from the concession without paying. Something's going to be, there's, I mean, that's a small thing. Maybe it's, it doesn't bother anybody else, but there's that, that one thing that really annoys you that people keep posting on Facebook. And that's just your personal standard speaking to you. That's your conscience guardrail that says that leads to a place that's dangerous. And I don't want to go there. It is for you. This is a very personal message. Because what is good for you, you may be working out your salvation in one area. And others may not be at that level or on that plane that right now in their spiritual walk. But that's why Paul says, work out your. He makes it your possession. Salvation is yours to work on. And so put guardrails where you need them. How many know that he's a good father? Amen. We were talking about that this morning. Good fathers put up barriers, right? My daughter would love to drive right now. She would have loved to drive when she was six. What kind of dad would I be if I'm like, they got guardrails, have at it. Just bring it home in one piece. I would have been a horrible father. Giving her permission to do things ahead of her maturity. God will not do that. He's a good father. And he will not give you access to things you haven't matured for. Because he'll put you ahead of your maturity process spiritually, and then your character cannot support the gift he gives you. God is a very good father. I didn't have a good father, so I look at Sarah and smile. And the reason why I know he's a good father, and let me help some of you that are raising children. You're like, yes, pastor preach. I'm finally some parenting help in this place. Guardrails of conflict in your home are greater and more important than conflict when they crash outside your home. People that are like, our home has got so much turmoil right now. Thank God you have it in your home to pray over it and to cover it and to be a good father over it, Reese, and to, and to watch over your children. And you would rather have the rub and the conflict and the crash on this side of the guardrail where you're fathering them and helping your children than for them to go off the cliff. Because you have control over the ways that they will take. Now, if you're doing things right now that encourage your children into the way, to merge into areas that are sinful and have no guardrails, then God help you because you are creating the future of danger for your child. And Paul says it. He says in Ephesians 5, he's, got, he's talking all through the, the difficulties of living in a culture that does not support Christianity. This was the church at Ephesus. This is a church that he was very in touch with and very close to. And the culture of their day was having extramarital relationships. The culture of their day was not only having affairs, but their culture actually endorsed it in their religion. That's what they were dealing with. When they were saving somebody in Ephesus, they were pulling them out of some of the grossest sin. 
And so Paul is addressing it, and he's not only addressing that, he's addressing the fact that they all live with bribes. They bribed each other to get what they wanted. They manipulated everybody. So Paul's like, hey, this is not the way you walk with God. There are ways that you change this. And, but even though someone says you need to change, how do you change? When all of your culture says this is okay, when all of your culture doesn't support monogamy, when all of your culture doesn't support things that the word of God supports anymore, how do you stay within the guardrails? You have to do it through the word of God. Trust that the word of God stands throughout all time. And we are living in time, amen? So his word is still true. And when you create those conscious standards in your life, you help yourself. So verse 15 of Ephesians 5, let's walk through this real fast and I'll let you go get some dinner somewhere yummy. See then that you walk circumspectly or that you live with a cautiousness is really what it means. It says live in another translation there where it says walk, not as fools but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul called the days evil for Ephesus. He said, everything around you is evil, but you can still live for God in evil days, amen? You can still have power and authority of God, in, in God in evil days. And so he's dealing with this and he says, live or walk in life. We were talking about walk in the spirit. Walk in life carefully or draw a circle around yourself circumspectly and make sure that you're walking right. Unwise, don't be unwise, which means careless in the scripture. Don't live carelessly. The word for today would be live intentionally. Live intentionally every day. Get up. Make a list every morning of the three most important things that you want to do today and watch how much you get done over and above those three things. That's living intentionally. And let God speak to you. Say, God, what are we doing today? And he will help you. But as wise, in other words, having your eyes open is what that means. Awaken. That's our spiritual theme for 2018, to be awakened. But wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is very interesting use of the scripture, what the Greek does here, because have you ever grew up in uh, public school and they had you go to the board in math class and you had to do the problem. Okay, Johnny, you've got three. Johnny, you know, Kim, you've got two. And you're all standing up there real awkward with your book going, hey, do you have three? <laughs> I don't know how to solve this problem. And then Paul does something where he hasn't really told them how to live in an evil day. He's just going, understand the will of the Lord. It's basically like being in math class and not being able to handle the problem and turning around to your teacher and going, I don't know how to do this problem. And your teacher yelling back at you, understand! <laughs> I mean, how would you do, Tom and Carla, if you had a flutist or a somebody playing the saxophone and they couldn't get it? And you're like, understand! <laughs> that was your instruction. How is that going to help them? <laughs> yeah, no, yes. <laughs> we're, we're praying for Tom. Yeah. <laughs> his primary mode of instruction is yelling, understand, to his students. Understand! This is not the way Paul really was trying to instruct them. The Greek here used is he was trying to get them to wake up, make them face up. So it says this. It says, I want you to face up 
to and embrace what you know God's plan is for you. He said, understand the will of the Lord in your life. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop playing games, playa. Oh, I got your attention back there. I don't know why I always throw that at those guys. They're like, we're tired of the rap reference. Knock it off. <laughs> you try to be cool too. Yeah, this word, emphasis on the word try. Stop smearing everything over pretending that you don't need God to help you with some things. Face up to it is what he's saying. Understand the will of the Lord. Face up to what you're dealing with and be honest with yourself is what Paul is saying. It's like a two by four upside the head right here. It doesn't even come nicely. He just like smack. Would you be real with yourself? Would you recognize that you shouldn't be standing there staring at the new swimsuit edition in the magazine aisle? You have problems with lust and you're not dealing with it. Or clicking on the wrong sites. Hey, I don't want to go there. I'm just saying, if you got issues, you take care of those issues. Some of you have entire subscriptions. Did you miss that one? Yeah, okay, moving on. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Go to the next verse. And be not drunk with wine. Oh, here we go. Pastor, finally, some preaching on drinking. We play too close to the edge, don't we, sometimes? And when pastors address it, you can feel the restriction in the room. But I'm actually acting as one that points to the guardrails. I will spend my entire ministry pointing at guardrails in your life. And while you're in the fog of the emotion of all that's going on, I can step back in the fog and go, do you see where that could have ended up? Do you see what could have happened there? Celebrate the fact that you're on the road and you're not off the cliff. Celebrate the fact that he bought you with his grace and his mercy. He purchased you with his blood and that you are not a casualty of life and you're not a casualty of your circumstances. That God put up a guardrail called Calvary and he brought you out and his grace is on you and God knows how to touch you deeper than anybody else can ever touch you and be real with yourself and tell God, I want to not only live for you, but I want to change the way I live for you. Stop flirting with disaster and face up to what God is calling you to be. That's what Paul is saying. And then he goes, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's two concepts here. Some people believe that getting drunk is not a sin. There's two teachings on it, Reese. There's one is being drunk is a sin, and there's another one that says being drunk is foolishness. Those are the two teachings that are out there. One is it's not a sin, but it's foolishness that leads to sin. The other is James 4.17. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin, or being drunk is a sin. Those are the two teachings. I'll let you study them out. I personally lean toward James 4 and 7. I don't believe we should be given control of anything in our life other than the Spirit of God. And that is the strong word here from, from Paul. He's saying the point is that you can't, at points that, you have, that you're living your life, if you drink too much to the point of excess, it leads to debauchery. 
There's a big word. What does that mean? Oh, good. We can drink because we don't know what debauchery means. That's not the case. Debauchery means extreme indulgence. Extreme indulgence. Anything that's an extreme indulgence in your life, I say James 4.17 is at work. It's not good. And therefore, it can be a sin. So, I want to point out that we are supposed to be led by the Spirit. Amen? In fact, the Scripture calls the Spirit of God new wine. That we are not supposed to be drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Bible says we are vessels filled with something. And we should be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that particular style of living does not lead to debauchery. But when you drink and when you have, when you have, and personally, I've never had an upbringing where we had alcohol in the home. We don't have alcohol in our home. And the reason why I have had so few drinks is because my particular, and the drinks were accidental, by the way. I'll just say that. <laughs> I ordered a, I ordered a Roy Rogers and they brought me a Rob Roy one time. I had a headache in seconds and I was like, what in the world did you bring me? It was totally by accident. And luckily I had the church board, one of the church board members sitting right across from me. That was really pleasant. And he's laughing so hard. I'm like, I have never had a hard drink in my life. I can't even believe this happened. Uh, Sometimes God's grace is sufficient. Even though he embarrassed me royally in front of, I was so tight wound though. I was like straight laced. So maybe that was his way of dealing with my legalistic mindset. I don't know. But God doesn't want anything else to control you is the point. How many would want to be buzzing whenever the Lord's trumpet sounds? That would be horrible, wouldn't it? I wouldn't want to be drinking. Even if it's, how many, how, how many do you have to have to be drunk? I would rather just abstain altogether. And I have, and the, maybe the reason why I'm so much on this side of it is because I've never seen alcohol help anybody. I've, I've never had someone, <laughs> Leah, come to me and go, my, my relationship with my son was so horrible. It was falling apart. And then we added some alcohol. <laughs> Got great. After that, no problems. I've never had someone, because I pastor, and I counsel marriages. I've never had someone say, our marriage was on the rocks, pun intended. <laughs> this is going to be edited. There's going to be a lot edited out of this sermon before it goes online. And we just got together once, one afternoon and just thought, you know what? We're either going to get divorced or we're going to drink. <laughs> Nobody has ever come to me and said, my relationships, my life got better because I added alcohol. It's always been a negative in my life. So therefore, I stay away from it. Why? Because the scripture tells me I have an option other than that as a way to deal with stress in life or bad days or trouble with life. I go to the Lord and I drink from a living spigot that has living water and that water quenches my thirst in ways that nothing in this world can quench. You can get to the bottom of a lot of bottles and still be depressed. But when you take it to the Lord, you can stand up and walk with that weight off of your shoulders and have a peace that passes all understanding. Somebody said amen right there. Amen. Galatians 5.19, I finish with this. This is where we were. And I want to read to you the acts of the flesh, the works of the flesh that you want to put guardrails up for. 
And I want you to be very careful in these areas. Because how can we be spirit-filled people without being led by the Spirit? Verse 19 says, and when you follow the desires of your sinful nature or flesh, the results are very clear. <coughs> King James says adultery and fornication. We know what those are if you don't Google them. <laughs> Sexual immorality is what it translates to here. Impurity, lustful pleasures, that's talking about uncleanness and lasciviousness, lustful pleasures. And then it goes on to say idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. In one translation, it actually says outbreaks of rage, literally having anger problems. Anger is not a sin, but having lashing out from anger, it's dealing with that somewhat here. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Here we go. Selfish ambition, dissension, division. Next verse. These are all things we need to put guardrails up around. Envy, drunkenness, there's drunkenness again, wild parties, and other sins like these. Everybody say guardrails. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life has no guardrails in their life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will find disaster. Your destiny can be destroyed if you don't live it with careful caution. So he's saying, wake up, live carefully, walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? Right. Let's stand together. I hope I hit all of the major points to make this cohesive. I tried to pull it all together here in my mind as I was working through it. I just pray that today that you understand that when he's saying understand the will of the Lord, that each of you have something God wants you to do. And it's very, very important that you be intentional about going after that. And so as we've prayed already today, let's just ask God to bless the word of God and just ask God to use it to help us to remind ourselves that we're not supposed to run up against guardrails and we're not supposed to live on the edge but live with margin in our finances, in our dating life, in our marriages. Jesus, help us. Every head bowed, every eyes closed right now. Lord, help us. Lord God, some of the greatest regrets in our life was because there was a missing guardrail. If we had had a word, if we had had a pastor, if we had had a friend that was walking with God and that, that could see from a distance that, hey, you're going to run off the road. If we had had another person maybe there to say, look, you're merging into dangerous territory. You're getting off the paths of righteousness. We would have had the opportunity to recover ourselves and you would have redeemed the time instead of running into places where we now have regrets. I pray for anybody with a regret in this room. I pray for anybody that right now can hear that voice of their conscience speaking, saying, you know what you did, you know where you did it. I bind that voice in the name of Jesus and I speak a greater voice over it, the voice of Calvary that says it's covered. 
It's covered. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, and it's covered by the blood of the Lamb. And I pray that that person that feels that conscious weight would put it under the blood of Jesus Christ in baptism, that we would see that there would be not only a repentance, but there would be a spirit infilling in their life to, to the point where the Spirit leads them, and the Spirit guides them, and the Word of God becomes nourishment to their heart and their soul, and that everything that they live right now from this moment on is to walk away from the regrets of missing guardrails. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'd help us cover our sins and our flesh, Lord God. In the name of the Lord, I ask you to to help somebody pray a prayer every morning. God, this is your day. What would you have me do with it? This is the day the Lord hath made. What would you have me do with it, Jesus? And put up the guardrails and live a life that's in the pathways and the ways of the Lord. I pray that over every soul in this place today in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.